You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. You're listening to the Sportsman's Nation Podcast Network brought to you by HuntStand. HuntStand is the number one hunting app in the country, and at only $29.99, HuntStand offers a ton of functionality for hunters all over the country. Whether you own your own property or strictly hunt public, you can choose from over a dozen base maps, view property ownership information, 3D mapping, local weather, log your sightings and harvest, as well as use their trail cam management software, and print maps from your hunt areas. Download it today at the Apple App Store or Google Play. Hunt Stand. Upgrade your arsenal. The Houndsman XP Podcast is fueled by Joy Dog Food. Joy Dog Food has a rich tradition of supporting the Houndsman of America. Founded in 1945, Joy is proud of its history and the relationship it has built with the American Houndsman. And in 76 years, there's never been a recall. Made with 100% American-made high-quality ingredients, Joy Dog Food has one of the highest calorie-dense formulas on the market. For 76 years, this made-in-America product has kept hunting dogs in the field day after day, season after season. And when we say made in America, Joy has a long track record of fighting for American freedoms by being on the front lines against the animal rights movement and their extremist tactics. Joy will fuel your hounds and fight for your freedoms. Fueled by Joy. is the Houndsman XP Podcast. Good dog, get that bear. Get that bear in here. The original podcast for the complete Houndsman. The podcast that represents our lifestyle of extreme performance. Get up there! Get him! Get him! Yeah! Good boy! Come on, Ranger! Uniting houndsmen across the globe from east to west, north to south. You know, if you're going to catch a cat or a lion, you know, you have to have teamwork. We take you to the wildest places on earth. Yeah, so how many days how many days a week do you spend out there? As much as I can to be honest with you. Anytime that I get, I'm I'm out there. 
Join us for every heart-pounding adventure on Houndsman XP. I'll tell you like I tell everyone else. I'm going to hunt whether you're here or not, so you might as well be here. On this episode of the Houndsman XP podcast, we spike the eggnog. It is Christmas time, and the Houndsman XP team is coming together to wish you all a Merry Christmas. We are going to recap the year 2021, both from a personal standpoint, talk about our hound adventures this year, and we're going to talk about the growth and the highlights of Houndsman XP. It's all in here, folks. Lauren talks about falling off of horses and truck stop showers. Seth goes in detail about some diseases that are threatening the the rabbit and hare populations of the United States. And Josh and I get into two spirited discussions about competition dogs versus big game dogs and cold-nosed dogs versus hot-nosed dogs. You are not going to want to miss that discussion Uh this is a great episode full of a lot of fun. I'm not going to drag this pre-roll out anymore. The Old South Dog Box is absolutely rocking on this one. Let's get the tailgate down. It's time to dump the box. Southern Hound Honey Magazine is the most comprehensive magazine that represents your lifestyle as a houndsman. If you can hunt it with a hound it is being covered in the pages of southern hound honey magazine you also get an in-depth look at the men and women who are engaged in this lifestyle living it every day to the fullest from the rocky mountains to the southern swamps and across the ocean with articles about our international houndsmen and what they're chasing across the pond go to southernhoundhunting.com Get your subscription for $15 a year. Southern Hound Honey Magazine, promoting the fair chase experience. I'm not not sure we're going to put all this on the podcast, but (laughs) the recording is rolling. And uh, I thought we'd just go through and and, uh, recap the year. and just have have a cr- online Christmas party here, a houndsman XP online Christmas party. What do you think? Love it. I, I like it. I mean, it's, these are my friends right here that I'm looking at. So it's been too We're, long. Probably your only friends. I was just gonna say probably my only ones. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Well, I can tell you that uh, with the Christmas holidays and everything, we're going to take a little hiatus next week after. Uh, uh, just just give everybody a break on um, work, man. Just let's get out and hunt and have a good time the next couple of weeks. But uh, so this, we won't air anything next week. And then we'll be back after the first of the year. And maybe we'll do a New Year's Eve bash or something online and uh, post that. So, so how's everybody doing? Good. Great. I'm doing good. Yeah. Minus the crutches. <laughs> but yeah. Good. What happened to you, Seth? Uh, I was elk hunting and, uh, I'm just not as nimble as I used to be, you know? Yeah. Just... You just told me I was getting old. <laughs> you t- no, you told me I am old. That's no, what no, said. no. The, I said did. you're old. Yeah. No, I, jo- yeah. Josh I, could, and- I just concurred. <laughs> <laughs> I was raised to a country to call my elders disrespectful words like that. <laughs> 
you were raised well and you do have very very good manners <clears throat> it's the mustache actually <laughs> and that that mustache is we said it in the pre-show but it it, it deserves uh, another comment that is impressive it's been about oh i trimmed it when i went to kentucky for my grandma's funeral because it was it was getting ludicrously long but i'd say now it's like a good like two and oh, a half you can inches. handle bar it i am that's what i'm doing now but um it just takes are like, you gonna sit there and constantly groom the whole time we're on you know what record all of our all of our fans that have beards know the beard pick is a real problem like when you get bored and you just start picking it and playing with it and then mm-hmm. it makes you look like you're some kind of like downtown tweaker and so you gotta pick something and so well, can- with the mustache it gives you this excellent excuse to pick your beard and at the same time you're getting that phenomenal like 18th cent- 18th century general look. You know what I mean? So at the same time I'm like, mm, yes, send up the musketeers, you know, at the <laughs> and while I'm picking it. So it's a win-win for everybody, really. So, considering where I you wouldn't live, say Seth, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Considering where you live, Seth, um, I wouldn't be surprised if you know someone might have thought you were a tweaker anyway. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm way too healthy. And look, look at these teeth. White, straight. And intact. So there you go. One hundred percent not. I had to trim mine up. My my goatee was hanging down, and it wasn't very popular here. And uh, besides, Lauren, you got like any facial hair tips while we're we're all we're all discussing facial hair. <laughs> um, thankfully, I'm not one of those women that has to struggle with it. Like That's I don't good. even have to wax my upper lip. Um, so thank you, genetics. <laughs> <laughs> uh no no i i mean i do like a man with a beard so that i i can get behind that so my word there you go there we go you're What's in up? good company mm-hmm. <laughs> i think that's probably enough about body waxing anyway we don't want to get into that whole topic yeah but we're anyway. already about two minutes deeper into that than we should be <laughs> yeah yeah so hey i want to i want to get you guys feedback on uh let's just do some highlights of the year of um you know, the most memorable things for 2021 and, and recap the year and, and, uh, kind of make it a festive Merry Christmas for everybody. And, and, uh, let's roll with it. So who's going first? Lauren's going first. I raised my hand, sir. (laughs) Um, (laughs) it's kind of crazy, Seth. It doesn't feel like it was already a year ago that I was out there, but I came out there like January 6th or something like that. And, uh, we had a, just to, you know, recap the year starting from the beginning. Um, Seth and I had a really good couple months. I (laughs) stayed out there for a while. Yeah. You're like a, you are a squatter. I'm a cockroach. (laughs) It was like two months and she was like, I'll help you pay my electric bill when I'm there. And I was like, nah, dude, don't worry about it. My March electric bill when she was there in February was $155. (laughs) So I was like, when it's normally like 30. You know what I mean? So I was yeah, like, so this year, <laughs> when she comes out, bring cash. <laughs> no, he's getting paid, that's for sure. Like, I I felt bad. I should have sent him something. But I had no idea <laughs> that it was going to be like that. So, If I cared, I would have said something earlier. But yeah, yeah, that just made me laugh. I was like, dude, were you running like some kind of grow operation back there or something? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my 11-foot camper just really draws yeah. the power. I mean, <laughs> working from home. And I did like I didn't run my air conditioner a whole lot, but I mean, New Mexico dude is awesome. Like it is so diverse. You get like 
like cool weather, warm weather, like everybody's happy. Um, I was just thinking though, the other day we had a huge storm come through, a huge windstorm and tornadoes and whatever. And I think it was like 60, 70 mile per hour winds. And it got me thinking back to that one night that there were like 40 mile per hour winds that I was that dealing day was with. crazy. Yeah. yeah. We don't really don't get bad weather like that. And yeah, that was a really windy day. Oh my gosh. I remember that. <laughs> but, but yeah, so I got to New Mexico and we never really did an episode on it. Um, hey, we, before we get too far down the trail here, you know, since we're talking about weather and it is our Christmas uh, special here, I just want to make sure that everybody is aware that there are going to be several people from Northeast Arkansas, Southeast Missouri, um, through Kentucky and Western Tennessee that, that are not going to have the same Merry Christmas that they normally have due to the, due to all those tornadoes. And I'm trying not, I don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but I think we, if you have an opportunity to reach out and do something for, uh, those folks down in that, that area, this is the right time of year to do that. And, and if uh, they need anything, they need to reach out to us too. I mean, absolutely. I mean, we can't, we would love to help and do something for them as long as, you know, we know where to, where to give the help. Right. That's a huge coon hunting area down mm-hmm. through there. A lot of hounds down in that country. So if you guys know of a houndsman out there that's in need, drop us a line. Cause most houndsmen aren't going to reach out and do it for themselves anyway. So somebody knows somebody down there. And, uh, that's just the right thing to do this time, any time of the year, but especially at this time of the year. Yes, sir. Great point. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway, go ahead, Lauren. (laughs) Anyway, so I had a lot of fun down there. Um, got to trail a bear one day. Uh, we were trying line hunting that didn't work dry ground and, um, you know, did a lot of coon hunting with Seth, got to see the dogs run, his dogs run super duper fast. Um, and kind of test myself on like my first really big trip across the country to meet people that I've never met before and hunt with them and, you know, make sure I didn't get murdered <laughs> along the way at truck stops and wherever else. And the yeah, you took camping like, on the mountain. Was that on the Colorado trip or the New Mexico trip where you stopped at the truck stop and took a shower? That was Colorado. Oh, okay. We, we, we won't jump ahead then. Yeah. Statistically much safer. <laughs> Colorado? I don't yeah. know. Any truck stop. I, but um, no, so I learned a lot about myself and what I need to bring on trips and what I can manage and how to deal with the dogs and, you know, stuff that can go wrong. And so that was cool. January, February, left mid-March. And yeah. When was your Colorado trip? Um, Mid-August. And what do you do out there? Because we haven't talked hardly no. any about that. No, I kind of kept it secret. <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> so I met some folks out there, uh, again, that I've never met in my life. Um, and we uh, got to run around the mountains and do a little work for the government protecting the sheep herd. So and that's really all you can say because you've been sworn to secrecy and you've got top secret clearance now. Pretty much. But it was awesome. Yeah. Um, my dogs held up really, really well. It was nine straight days on horseback. Um, I, don't, I don't even know how many hours I was in the saddle and I am not a horse girl. So it was a, the first day I fell off twice in the first two hours. So. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, you fell off the horse? Yeah. Was it bucking? No. no. <laughs> um, it, was, it was graceful. It was like the most graceful discount dismount that um, anybody uh, had seen. Like, if we, we, uh, There's no way it was no. graceful. I have, no I, have a, I have like a video of one of them. Like I we got to have that. <laughs> we have not seen that video. Yeah. Um, so like the first time we're going down and it's all blowdowns and you're like on a mountain, like a steep mountain. I'm on a horse. So there's two people on horses and two people on mules. And honestly, I think the horses were just as good as the mules in that um, terrain. So like mad props to the horses. It was awesome. Um, and the first one, I was not like paying attention where we were going and I wasn't super confident in telling the horse where to go either and there was a branch or a, like a tree trunk that was typical here we yeah go. that was like right in front of me and it came like like just at my waist and the, the horse goes and i just grab on and i hang on um and the horse goes <laughs> forward and i stay hanging on the log with my feet dangling in the air <laughs> so it's like one it's like one of those hollywood deals that you think who in the world would do something like that and now we know. <laughs> yep, it's me. Yep, it's me. Um, so I just hung on, and it was like a really old tree, so there wasn't any scrapey bark or anything. It was like really smooth, so I just just slouched and fell right down. Got back on the horse, and probably ten minutes later, we're uh, on steep country, and the horse, the saddle was a little bit loose, um, and I wasn't able or to center it really well at the time, and it we walked like right under a pine tree, pine tree branches and the saddle slipped and I fell off and got back right back on. They're like, you okay? And I'm like, yup. And right <laughs> back on. And that was that. And I learned um, very quickly that the horse that I was riding um, likes to jump things. So a lot of the horses would like walk over the blowdowns and my horse was a jumper. So that's because I, uh, he knew he could with you on him. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's like, I'm going to give her the worst ride of her life for nine days. And she's going <laughs> like, she's going to have to figure this out. So, <laughs> yeah. So I actually had a really spirited conversation with the person you were hunting with. And he was like, cause I was talking about my buggy and how I prefer it infinitely to a horse. And he's like, you know, we were just joking around. He's like a horse, our buggy isn't going to go through this blowdown very good. And I was like, I mean, you're right, but also like I got this coffee cup right here being held and like all my buddies are just sitting here chatting. So I just I love horses. They're awesome. But man, they're just they're so I'm risky. not I'm yeah, not getting like, on no horse. You know, we we have ever, the opportunity to for ride any at my reasons. Work. Yeah, we have the opportunity to ride at my work. And I'm like, nah, I'm good. I'll take a four wheeler. I'll walk like I. Yeah, man, they're they're cool, by, but they're crazy risky, man. Damn. Yeah. By the end of it, like. I was pretty good and I was comfortable and I live under the mentality. Like if I'm going to die, like that's the way God wants me to go. And so be it and take chances, take risks and just live your life. And that's just kind of how I roll. That's a good way to go until yeah. you have to pay your medical bills. <laughs> Cause you yeah. lived. <laughs> yeah. This, Who, yeah. Who's coming from a guy on crutches. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, well, I, I've already lived through the whole, horse mule thing and and uh man I'll, I'll tell you what i like my side by side you feed it when you use it and uh when you're not you're not you're not out building fence and bailing hay for it and scooping anybody up that's waste. <laughs> anybody that's east of the mississippi river 
that has horses, most of the time they're nothing more than pasture ornaments, really. You know, they, they're just all the horse people are coming for you now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, well, east of the Mississippi River is a whole different thing. I mean, I know some people that, that are east here that use when, when we had mules, we used them every day. But, uh, man, I got a tractor now and I got a side by side now. <laughs> yeah. But so, like for real, like out west, I had never I never been to that part of Colorado before. Never done this kind of hunting. And like after the first day, I'm like, holy crap, like, hey, these guys are like serious, like badass mountain men, like cowboy mountain men. Like and they're like, hey, at the end of it, they're like, would would you do this? Like, could you do this? And I'm like, no, like there is like I am not cut out for like how gritty and how tough and how independent and everything like these guys and women um, are serious people. I was amazed at what they have to go through and what they do and where they have to go. And, you know, looking for a dog for over 24 hours because the GPS failed and, you know, staying on the mountain and just where you Well, get. yeah. And you, you take people like they've been guests on our show several times, even this year, you know, you take Becky and Cleve Dwyer, you know, and, and, they're making their living off of the back of a mule out there hunt lions. And you take Michael Ritchie and, and, uh, I broke mules with him and I, I watched some of these newer mule breaking videos and Michael broke this mule from, um, never having a, a load on its back to walking around a, a round pin with a load on its back, leading it out of the pen and walking it around with, with a, a saw buck and, and load on it in a couple hours, just because he's a third generation stockman. And I called him a couple weeks ago that the national finals rodeo was just held in Las Vegas. And I had some friends that went out there and, and from back here and they're all standing in front of the arena, getting their picture taken with their belt buckle and their boots and their hats on. And they're about as cowboy as, as somebody can't be. And then his dad was out there who I know Mike, I mean, that guy's made his living and that, that hat he's wearing has seen some action, you know? And it was just, it was, it was funny to me to see how everybody wants to be a cowboy until they, it's time to do cowboy shit. And then they don't want any part of it. <laughs> oh yeah. Me, me included. Yeah. yeah. That's, um, that's very common around here too. <laughs> I'd like to learn a little bit more about like the Western life and Western hunting and, and stuff like that. So it, it was a thoroughly enjoyable trip for me. And yeah. I am actually pretty proud of myself for staying on a horse for nine days and not crying. So I was too, really. I thought after the first day you rode that it was over. It's like, she'll ride one day. And then those, you know, I don't even know. It's where your, your femurs attached to your, uh, tailbone there or whatever and and all of a sudden that's where it hurts what is it seth you know what it is i'm not i'm not picking Sacrum? up the word. yeah where your femur attaches to your tailbone <laughs> whatever yeah, it that is that's true that's pelvic, not anatomy pelvic, that bone. Is not pelvic bone all right so <laughs> yeah yeah no you're good this you're isn't good. an anatomy podcast we got you we got you <laughs> all i know is after you if you haven't ridden a lot and you get in the saddle and you try to ride like you did lauren most people are crying on the side of the trail oh. I mean, it's just brutal because your ass hurts. Yeah, I just wake up. So, like, I had to wake up at, like, 
sometimes one or two in the morning to get where we needed to be by on time because I was camping by myself at the top of um that in and of itself is a challenge for you just being but camping by myself or no waking waking up up one yeah waking up before whatever time yeah you're you're not lying I'm not a morning person I had a hair (laughs) caught and was home when you were just like "Eh, oh good morning I was like you missed it we caught one like (laughs) anyway yeah um because i was camped at the top of a mountain by myself and that was 45 minutes to town to the gas station where i'd meet the guy and then we'd go another 10 15 minutes pick up dogs at the kennels at his friend's house and then we'd have to drive like another hour two hours whatever it was to meet the rest of our party and then we'd drive more to go hunt (laughs) All right, so I got a question for you, and it's related. I'll bring it back around to the hounds part. What did you learn traveling with hounds like that that you could pass on to the rest of the hound hunting community? I mean, you went on this big two two huge road trips this year. Yeah, and w- traveling with hounds. What did you learn traveling with hounds? Beg people for gas money because <laughs> you go through a lot of. <laughs> No, I actually I paid my own way, guys. <laughs> um uh the the tie-out system, honestly, from Dogs Are Treed was a huge lifesaver. Like absolutely a huge, huge lifesaver. What'd you like about it? Why why? I could get out of the truck, grab, and I had it like wound up and just like um attached to the outside of my dog box. Um I've got a like a little rail where I can mm-hmm. clip my leashes and everything. And um I could just grab that. I could put a stake in the ground or I could wrap it around a tree or like those cement pilings that they have at gas stations. So you don't like run into the propane tank or something. Um, yeah. So I like do one around that cement thing and then one to a light post and you could just get dogs out and hook them up super quick. How long does it take you to set up that system? Like three minutes. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it depends. Sometimes you have to like shorten it depending on where you are and what you have accessibility to. But honestly, I never put a stake in the ground. There were always, I always found trees or lampposts or I did um, one end to like my um, hitch and then one end to a lamppost. Um, it was just super simple. And I could just grab dogs out. My dogs have your dogs trained to hold themselves in the dog box until you call them out because if you're at truck stops or you're trying to let them out to potty like on the side of a highway you don't want five dogs running out and then you know you get dogs hit on the road or you're chasing dogs forever without collars on um so i learned how to efficiently use that tie out and get my dogs fed and watered and everything quickly um, how long would you drive? How long would you drive between times that you let your hounds out? Well, you know, I'm a little bit of a fur mama. <laughs> <laughs> so like, there's a lot of houndsmen will be like, yeah, I drive 12 hours straight and they don't get out of the box, you know, which is fine. Like if your dogs deal with that, that's fine. Um, but probably every other time I stop for gas and my truck gets nine to 10 miles an hour per gallon when I'm pulling that camper. So that's a long trip, nine to 10 miles an hour. Yeah. Not well, <laughs> <laughs> nine to ten miles a gallon. I hear you. 
Um, Josh, Josh, what's the contrast on that for like, for like competition coon hunters? I personally do about four to five hours, six hours. Uh, they're fine. After a cast, when I know a dog's good and cleaned out and tired, and say I'm going to drive, um, it's a seven, eight hour trip home. They don't want out of that box. You yeah. know, they'll they'll be glad to do. They're tired, and wore out. They'll be glad to sit in there for eight hours. Uh, I always make sure. It depends on how comfortable the dog is too. You know, a full size truck with a big box, medium sized dog, they can really stretch out in there and they can be comfortable. They got real nice pads, uh, winter doors, all that stuff. So they're good to go in there. So yeah, I mean, it just varies in the summertime. I like to get them out quite a bit, make sure they're hydrated, uh, in the wintertime, eight hours after a hunt's no big deal, but I try to stop every five if I'm on a good long road trip at least. Yeah, I'd yeah. say it's like, yeah, it was probably around that time for me too. But yeah. it also depended on like on the time of the day. Like if if it was time for them to sleep, I'm, I can drive and not let them out for a super long time. If it's hot, everywhere, let them out. Yeah. Everywhere I travel, I've traveled so many times for so many years and I'm even doing more of it now. I mark places on my map that are good places to let a dog out because I don't ever put mine on a leash usually. And so I'll find a good roadside park or something like that. I'll have my healer. I'll have duds and con or duds and rain or con and rain or whatever. And I can just open the dog box doors, let them run around where they got room. They can get 50, 60 yards from me, not have any trouble. And I can just holler them back in the box. So I don't have time out. I don't have to put them on leashes. And I've got all these spots either memorized or marked. That way it's good yeah. to know where they're at. Yeah, there were places that I went that I let like two or three dogs out at a time leashless. Um, with their um, little beeper collars on just mm-hmm. to be sure. Um, and that's helpful. And I think they empty out quicker that way too. They do. So. I think so too. I do too. Yeah. I totally agree. Off leash, they one, always go one, way faster. Absolutely. One, one, one thing that I always found before we realized that, that hounds could actually be trained to stay close to you and you could recall them and stuff, you know, we would carry a 20 or 30 foot line with us a check line mm-hmm. and you could let them range out and they cleaned out better that way so even if you're not to that point where you can recall a dog off of a tone and you don't feel comfortable doing that if you just carry a 20 or 30 foot check cord with you and just walk them out through an area they'll clean out and they'll take their breaks and do all that stuff a, a lot easier so strangely i never i never have to worry about my hounds but that healer who's as smart as just about any dog on the planet is a little bullheaded. And so every (laughs) now and every now and then I will, I will put a 50 foot check cord on him just so I don't have to put the e-collar on him. You know, Mm -hmm. the check cord's sitting right there. It's just a 50 foot piece of paracord with a snap on it. And, you know, he takes off and he looks at me when I tell him to come and he, you know, he decides he don't feel like it. (laughs) He gives you the the double barrel. Yeah. I can step on that check cord and just reel him right in. Yeah. Yeah. Another thing I learned is to like kind of just trust your dogs and let go a little bit. Um, you know, at home you get really comfortable hunting. You know what they're running and you know where they're running and where they're going to be going. And out there you you don't have that same background in your head if you've never hunted that area and never hunted around this the same kind of game, you know, the elk and, you know, if there's bear or mountain lion or whatever your dogs are running – um, just kind of let Jesus take the wheel <laughs> a little bit. So I, you know, I kind of got the vibe from the people that I was hunting with and, 
um some they're like I, i'm like what do you think they're running what do you think they're doing they're like it, it, you know just chill it's your dog like just trust it you know it's gonna be fine um and in colorado i lost all three of my dogs river ended up coming in heat the second day so that was a bust um she made it to one tree um the first day and then that was that but the rest of the time i lost all three of my dogs lost gps communication or they got out of country and normally i would be frantic like if people know me um i'd be frantic and it's just like you know they're gonna come back they're gonna figure out like they're smart dogs and one time Ridge ended up at the corrals, Cedar ended up at the road that led to the truck, and then Piper ended up under the truck. She went back. So just trust your dogs. Seth, what's your highlight for 2021 with Houndsman XP? With Houndsman XP? Well, yeah. I mean, it's all it's been a great year, the whole thing, but I'm going to be honest. A lot of people are like, where can I find the show? Where can I find the show? And when I send people links, it's Sighthound people. So I send them some links to the episodes I've done. But you know what episode I honestly send them often to is Shower Shoes and a Bible. That was such a good episode of Hounds on XP, Josh. Seriously, I loved it. Thank I, you. I mean, obviously, there was lots of really good ones. I also really like the blood tracking episode. That one was really good, too. It sticks in my mind. But With man, Travis Land? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah. But Shower Shoes and a Bible was a phenomenal story i also the first episode of don't shoot my dog that story had me legit like i was mm -hmm. work, i was building fence and i like just put my t-post pounder down and just sat down in the dune and just listened to it that was i mean putting myself in that putting myself in that world and trying to imagine what i would do and like i thought your experience as a law enforcement officer put so much more like weight and credence behind what you had to say and i really enjoyed the fact that you're like people are keyboard warriors and they're really tough talking. But in that situation, that's the whole thing I was thinking too. I was like, I don't, I don't think people would be as tough as they think they would be in that situation. You know? So I was, anyway, it was a great episode, but I always make sure I link shower shoes in there. I, I, I love that story. It's just so, um, it did a great job it was, and, and your you. guest was awesome. It was a great episode. Oh, um, that wasn't on me. That was all Jason. Yeah. And, uh, I really, yeah, he kind of, he kind of came out and, and just decided to tell that part of his life. Didn't he? Josh? Yeah. We had discussed it before and I, and I mean, that, that's not something I want to push somebody to talk to unless they want to, but he wanted to and kudos to him. And I also want to mention that Jason's mother just passed away, uh, here recently too. So let's keep him in our prayers as well. He will be back on the truth. You know, we want to talk just coonhounds with him at some point because he's a knowledgeable guy in that area too, of course. But yeah, just uh, shout out to Jason and we're all praying for him too. Yeah. Well, I, when we go to the don't shoot my dog episode, I've actually had, I had one person message me and tell me that, that their girlfriend was listening to it or maybe it was their wife. I can't re recall, but they actually had, maybe it was it both. Maybe. Uh, <laughs> What do you mean? Like one guy's girlfriend, another guy's wife? No, maybe the guy had his girlfriend listed in one spot and his wife in the other. Who knows? <laughs> I don't I don't think that was the case. But anyway. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh they actually had to turn it off, you know, while while Emotional? they were yeah. Because as they were listening to it, it just wrong. got too heavy with with Brad telling his story and, and that was such a uh, memorable night and I mean, people can hear hear the whole thing on the podcast in that episode, but 
but that was a very memorable night for one of somebody that I knew so close. And Brad is um, not afraid to share his emotions and things like that. And he, it was rough on him. It was rough on him that night. And I appreciated him coming on just like, just like Jason, you know, for, for Brad to come on 15 years later and still tell the story. I mean, when I was interviewing him about it. Yeah. When I was interviewing him and I don't know if this came, I, I think it came out in the podcast, but I was interviewing him and that emotion was still coming back to him. You could hear you know, mm -hmm. Oh, I heard yeah, it years yeah. later. Yeah. That's what made it so much more tangible and real. Yeah. You know, yeah. you could really hear it. I so, would not have known what to do if that happened. I think I would have maybe done everything opposite and just not been as smart about it or as um, like logical about what to do had I not been able to, to hear what, what we put out in those three episodes. Lauren, are you telling me that you would get ramped up, reactive and crazy in a tense situation? <laughs> What me being like <laughs> reacting and like going kind of overboard? What? Yeah, but, yeah. You know, growing up, my dad was like, "You're overreacting. You're overreacting." You know, whenever my brother would set me off or something. So yeah, it's me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <clears throat> well, go ahead, Seth. No, no problem. As far as my um, as far as my hunting is going, it's been my dogs have been amazing this year. Um, but. Lauren, you remember how rough it was to try to find one last year. It's the same this year, just as yeah. bad. Um, we're really, really. Do you think struggling. it's worse? Even, I'd say it's about the same. We're we're what's averaging. Going on? What's going on there, Seth? What? Why? What's <clears throat> so nineteen? We're going to uh, give you a chance to nerd out here a little bit about jackrabbit yeah, so, biology. Yeah. So um, jackrabbits in desert systems, which is where they live, typically go through normal cyclical cycles of boom and bust, where the population will come out in this huge boom year and then it'll taper off. And then eventually they reach a wall where the carrying capacity of their environment can't support the huge populations. There are their predator populations explode because there's such an abundance of food. And usually when, you know, everyone knows when you get animals close together, they spread disease through each other really quickly and their population will plummet. And that's called a bust year. And that's like totally normal cycle um, of all hairs really snowshoes, jackrabbits, whitetails, like all of them. But a novel hemorrhagic disease came to the United States in early 2020, literally weeks after the coronavirus the whole thing started. So this is very serious. It has about a 90% mortality rate. Um, Where'd it come from? A, UK? They're not exactly sure. So it, they're not exactly Wuhan. sure. They think, they think it came from a... It was yeah, we're China. Gonna target. We're gonna, China. We're, we're gonna target the jackrabbit hunters and sidehound community in the and break the back of the United States. I was devastated. I would. Uh, I'm so sad. Anyway, so, all nine of them are devastated. I think the last time I checked, they think it came from like northern Europe, like Norway. But I'm not a hundred percent sure. There, no one's really a hundred percent sure. They're they're type one. This is the type two. The type one has been all over the world already, and so is type two now. It's incredible how quick these viruses can spread around the world, as we all know. And so uh, type one did not affect hares. It only affected rabbits. Type two affects hares and rabbits. And it got to the United States. Sadly, New Mexico is one of the epicenters of the release of sick rabbit. Pet rabbit was brought to New Mexico. And of course, and when it died, it, I'm sure they just put its body out in the desert. 
hop, hop, hop. Here comes a jackrabbit or a cottontail. Boom. They have it now. It's extremely persi- persistent. So you're talking about somebody, the- somebody had a sick, tame rabbit. Yes. Yes. And a domestic rabbit was sick. When it died, they probably Thumper put it dies. Thumper they, dies. They give, give him an aerial burial out of the desert. And, and aerial burial. And is yeah. the virus like like parvo kind of where it just kind of lives forever in the it is it's extremely persistent it can survive inside a corpse uh inside the dried mummified carcass of a rabbit for up to eight months it can survive temperatures down to seven degrees fahrenheit up to 100 degrees fahrenheit anything in between and it can survive in leaf litter soil for almost a year it's extremely persistent it can survive inside the feces of a scavenger so it's spread mostly by vultures that would feed on a dead one and as they're flying they just that splatters on the ground hop 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 here comes mr jackrabbit just sniffing around he sniffs that infected feces he has it spreads like wildfire through the community 90 percent die so how is, it's it, really... how is it spread throughout the rest of the i mean what as far as hair populations go in like uh montana down to you is it everywhere are yes. they all been decimated it's, been, it's spread throughout the Western United States in corridors of travel. And one of the main ways it's been traveled is by turkey vultures as they migrated north from yeah. they live in the south. They migrate up and they've carried it along with them. It's all the way up through Utah. It's been into like West Texas and ravaged populations throughout Nevada. California also had a massive die off. Because I know so, they had a huge population of hares when, or jackrabbits when I was in north central Montana. I mean, a fantastic population. We went out there bird hunting for... Uh, two or three years straight. I done a job out there. I lived there for about eight months and then took bird dogs out there and they were always bumping jacks and, and I, we don't have them. We haven't, I don't have any experience around them, but as far as the numbers of jacks, I was really impressed by it. I didn't know if it was all the way up there too. Yeah. And that's the thing about them. I'm, I'm not going to go too deep into it, but their populations are also very localized. So you'll have areas that are abundant, super abundant with them. And then you'll have vast sections of desert that are very sparse. And so like where we hunt with sight hounds, they already have a really sparse population because it's a very risky area to live in open areas, super open areas. They like a broken, fragmented habitat of brush and open area combined, which is not ideal really for running. But anyway, whatever, long story short, the type two virus came in, devastated their populations about 10%. Some populations were killed to 98%. That's what our surveys have shown. And so it's averaging about two hours to find one now. It's been awful. And we've pretty much put a self-imposed limit of one run per day. I don't care if we get out run, we put them in a hole. That's ideal. I want to put them in a hole or catch them. We run one hair a day, we leave. So it's been a really, really sad season for that because, you know, you drive an hour and a half, then you spend two hours to find one. You course one from between one minute to three minutes and you go home. So it's pretty sucky. So, so yeah. Question for me is, Knowing that the population is like that, have you cut back on your hunting? Well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, I mean, we're running one if we can. And that's the thing. Normally, if you even find one, you're like, all right, we just spent two hours to find one. Like, I'm done, dude. I don't want to walk another two hours. Me and Justin walked 12 miles two weekends ago. But I mean, I guess my question is, is, is taking that into consideration. have, Have you, have you been more hesitant to even go out and look for them? Knowing that the populations are down. Definitely. We have 13 fields we hunt on and we pretty much just hunt one field one week and then we just go to the next one. So we've been driving a ton this season too. How big is one of those fields? um, Our smallest one is 5,900 acres and our biggest one is 22,000. So yeah. That's so strange to me because hunter mortality is such a small 
percentage of oh, yeah. all all the game that I hunt. You know, when everyone talks about, oh, we can't sh- sh- quails, maybe a little different story, but oh, we can't shoot the pheasants up, we can't shoot the quail up, the rabbits, the coons, the deer. But they replace themselves so fast, and maybe a hunter, as far as raccoons, especially here or upland game or turkeys or whatever, hunter mortality is maybe one. one thousandth of what causes the death of all these animals. And so I always tell myself, you know, yes, we want to conserve and yes, we want to do this, but how big of effect is it that we're not hunting hard versus we are hunting hard? It's, it's like a jackrabbit population, please. You know, I've run nine this season. I've caught seven. I've caught seven. A golden Eagle kills three a week just to survive. You know what I mean? Wow. Yeah. And so golden Eagles are their number one carnivore, you know, a full, I remember you pointing that out to me when we saw that that guy where we went yeah. to that live there and every time i drive by i'm like i hate you you feathery demons <laughs> like but you ever thought about shooting one well of course i've thought about it but i'm never gonna do it <laughs> <laughs> every time i see them i wish i was like oh i hate we don't you. need I've stuff seen, in the clink i've seen goldens <laughs> up here on maybe six or seven occasions we got a huge population of bald eagles now especially mm. after the last 10 years their population has just exploded but you'll see a golden rarely, and the size of those things is so impressive. Oh, yeah. oh they're huge. So we, we have two tagged at my research uh, where I work, and uh, the golden eagle biologist she travels like all over the state because they obviously can cover huge distances. But the hen eagle that's been like familially roosting at the Hornado where I work in this this well, we have this big windmill. They've have this nest in there. It's like five feet deep. Like yeah. they just keep adding to it every year. And you climb up there and look inside that nest. There's coyote skulls. Mm-hmm. There's small deer skulls. Like there's everything you can imagine. Skulls. They're and amazing body parts predators. And it's yeah. They're so powerful. Eight foot wingspan, dude. Yeah. She's so when they're when they're because they're they'll eat carrion too, of course. And you'll see a bald eagle in a golden next to a carcass or next to a kill oh. or something like. That. And the size, you're just like, wow, what yeah. on earth is that thing? Yeah, they're dinosaur like freaking pterodactyl. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so is, anyway, um oh go ahead. Is the problem with hares, it's totally different. Chris, you might know some about this um, from hanging out with Alan, but the snowshoe hare um problem like in the northeast or like Michigan and stuff, that's totally different than the virus, right? It's you yeah. I haven't I haven't we did have a little trouble. It was down this year from last year on availability of hares, so I'm not sure. Seth would actually be better on understanding, you know, that, that impact of that disease. I think, um, when I think about, we've got great fans from Norway, I'm not trying to, but man, we've had some bad stuff come from Norway. Look at the Norwegian war frat and the black plague. And, and now we've got, now we've got them killing off Seth's hares, his jackrabbits. We're going to have to invade Norway. Rotten Ludafisk on only, you. That's the only option. We're going to attack Norway. <laughs> Seth, so it, what, do you think? what do you think, Seth? I mean, what, what's the difference in genus and species and everything from a snowshoe to a jackrabbit? Well, they're both hares. They're, they're, they're both closely related. They're both in the genus Lepus. But, I mean, I don't know if the virus has made it that far to the northeastern um, United States. I, I've been really focused on the, the western United States, obviously. But... Um, I don't know if RHDV2 has made it up there. If our listeners are around, let us know. Um, if anyone's curious on this, you can go to aphis.gov, I believe. That's aphis.gov. 
Um, you can also just Google APHIS. They have pretty extensive maps of um, where diseases and wildlife have generally spread. That's APHIS's number one mission typically is to survey diseases and populations. And uh, that'll give you a lot of information. Also, you know, if you want to know diseases about like rabies, canine distemper, and they do a lot of that as well. So it's good to know. Um, hmm. and- so, talking about that. Um, I hunt with a guy, um, a new hunting partner. His name is, well, he's, his name's Ken, but he's chef Ken. He's a chef. And, uh, we were, I've been coon hunting really hard this year. And, uh, now we know why, (laughs) um, and, uh, he got bit by a raccoon when we were hunting one night and I was like, Oh, just, you know, here's some chlorhexidine, clean it up. You'll be fine. You know, all that stuff. And, uh, he ended up his his wife made him go to the doctor and do all that stuff. He got bit like kind of in the back of the the quad or the the hamstring area. And uh oh, hold, on, doc- hold on, hold on. Time out. Time out. How did he get bit? How on earth did someone get bit in the ass by a coon? That's, <laughs> That's what I, I want to know. That's a fire bite. Like is that a jumper? Uh the coon was angry. Obviously. Um, <laughs> <laughs> came down angry and I just had two dogs out. So I had Piper and boost and um, I'm used to just my dogs. Boost isn't my dog. And I'm just used to my dogs. I can call them off quick enough to get a shot in on the ground mm-hmm. and it's done. But I couldn't do that with boost. Like boost was like, Oh, Oh no, we are going for this. Like you cannot boost get that me away. damn red dog. Boost is that damn red dog. Okay. Yeah, right. I never so, knew his name. I just yeah, knew damn red dog. Yeah, <laughs> so he's in the mix, and I'm like, Piper, get out, get out! And I'm like, Ken, I'm like, grab boost, grab boost! So he's running around. This coon is like, char- like charging us, like charging the dogs. Like it's a big sow. It was like a 23, 24 pound sow, and uh, kind of like backed up to a log at one point. And he's trying to grab boost, and like in slow motion, I see this coon just like go for him then at this point <laughs> so the coon like launches like from the ground up and grabs onto him and is like holding on and i'm just watching i'm just like holding is he a new is he a new hunter he's a new hunter yeah that's crazy and i'm like i mean well, i think of all the times and all the raccoons i've been around from live traps to hunting to trap lines to you name it and i have never been coon bit right not once and yeah. the fact that he so, hunts for like a week and gets one right in the butt cheek. It's just, literally pretty much what yeah. happened. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's right in the hamstring. You got it. And I'm like, okay, I, do I kick this coon while it's on him? And then like, it kind of like, like rips further. Like he's already grabbed on. So then if I kick the coon, is, the, is it going to cause more injury? You know, like what do I do at this I'm point? I'm kicking. I'm going for it. I think I did. Or I like tried like hitting it with like the butt of the gun and it. Oh, that's never a good idea. No. Yeah. No, 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 no. I have broken it. I I broke. I broke one gun that way. (coughs) One is Uh, all it takes. But that's because like it's a it was a cheap 22 with like a plastic stock. Mine was too. Mine was a wooden. It was a Marlin. What what model was that? The 553 or something like that just snapped what it. is your what is your guys's that's the one thing we've never covered on the podcast what is your guys's go-to coon guy coon a gun? mossberg 722 plankster open-sided 120 dollar gun 
Chris, what are you packing? A CZ American, or no, a CZ, I can't remember the model number, but it's a CZ. I got it cut down to 17-inch barrel. I've got a little pole on it, and I've got a, a Piccaninny rail on the side of it with a light on it. They come out dead. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm not bragging, but I'm freaking legendary with that sucker. <laughs> I shoot One shot, they're coming out. I did not I did not shoot this coon. I'll put it I'll put that out there too. I say I shoot a Chiapa little badger. They weigh in with the laser and everything. They weigh in right at like 1.7 pounds. Holy cow. It's a rifle. The greatest yeah. coon hunting implement I've ever toted. And very accurate. Yep. Yeah. yeah, that's the thing with the CZ is it's just it's a bold action rifle. It's super yeah. accurate. You know, a lot of the target shooters and stuff were picking them up back in the day yeah. to compete with Anschutz, and they would compete with Anschutz right out of the box. Yeah. And then I customized my, mine a little bit. Maybe I did and, shoot uh, this coon. I can't remember. <laughs> Jeez. I don't know. We're, 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 not talking, we're, we're not talking about the coon yeah, anymore. <laughs> but yeah. So the little the Leupold scope. You know, I see a lot of I see a lot of coon hunters using lesser scopes. But I've fallen on that scope. I've slipped down banks with it. Well, I've only resided like at one time. Lifetime I warranty. Use a laser. Like if anything yeah. goes wrong with that scope, you can send it in and get another yep. one. Yep. So I love about yep. Vortex too. I got a Vortex on that one. Yeah. Crossfire. Quality optics. Quality optics. So that's whether it's laser and then like <laughs> on my bear rifle, that's a three fifty legend with a Leupold Delta Point Pro on it. So well, you shot side. deer with that rifle too. You've shot mm-hmm. a lot of stuff with that 350 yep. legend. My, yeah, coyote, Lauren, my coyote calling gun is a CZ American uh 22 Hornet. Oh man, and it's a Leopold with a VX2 on it. And I mean, and everyone says that you know, I've got some money in it, but it's not crazy high. But I just beat that thing to death calling coyotes. Me I too. Mean, I mean, I'm dropping it off fences and stuff. I mean, it's got a bipod on mm-hmm. it and stuff, but I mean, it's. They're, they're good scopes. Yeah. Good guns I don't think too. I, can have, I don't think I can have a nice gun if I'm going coon hunting because. Oh, heavens no. I, I can't take care of anything just to start Me with, neither. So. I try my best. Even my flinter. I think it's like custom made for me. And I still am like, God, it's all dented up. It's a hunting gun. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's going to get. If I'm not hunting them, gun. You okay. ought to see my bird hunting gun. My bread is just destroyed. It looks like someone's ran it over. <laughs> so, so to give you an idea here, Seth, and this is way off topic, but you talk about it being beat up. Herschel House is a legendary flintlock builder from um, Kentucky. Oh, that's closest I'm going to give you. But um, so he will actually, he builds rifles that look like they were built in the 1700s. And if I told you what he did to rifle stocks to, to oh. antique them, I mean, I've heard stories and I've never verified this, but I've heard stories that he'll carve a, a rifle and then take it out in his driveway and throw it down the driveway just to put the dents and dings in it. I'm, Dang. I'm, yeah. So, so don't be afraid. Beat them yeah, up, no. take them and use them. I've never had a showpiece gun that I was like, Oh, I'll never take this hunting because it's too yeah. special. Screw that. I'm taking that sucker. And if you look at my CZ, man, it is stock worn and I want it. I, and I simply treat the stock with, uh, uh, furniture oil and keep it oiled up and it's awesome 
It's great. Yeah. My dad was like, you know, you're like, oh, you're rough on. I'm like, dad, it's a hunting gun. And I agree. I'm trying to right. try to be nice to it, but I mean, like, it's kind of, I crossed a barbed bar fence. I dropped it by accident. Oops. My bad. Like, it's whatever. But anyway, yeah. Um, uh, my, real... oh, go, go ahead. ahead. No, I was going to say my, my coon hunting weapon of choice was my boot. Because when I went with Lauren, there was no. Are you your sandal? My sa- well, my sandal. Yeah. Oh, I just like. In my world, a sandal is a boot. <laughs> like, but yeah, that thing. Well, and 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 like, then you're not a Haitian. Then later, what did we? What did we bring? Like a time or two after that, like a like a club. A club. Yeah, a club. <laughs> and we never yeah, got to use it. I never got to use a club. I did get to use my boot, though. Yeah, and, well, my sandal. The thing is that this is what I learned. Coons are tough, dude. Like, I knew they were tough, but they're tough. Like, that thing oh, ran yeah. up to me, and I gave him the 10 and a half, you know what I'm saying? And he was just like, <laughs> and just, like, kept running like nothing happened. And I'm not that chicken legs, you know what I'm saying? But he didn't even care. He was just like, <laughs> just like, I'm going to tell you, pound for pound, a, rac- a, a raccoon. I think the only thing that can beat it is a is a badger. What do you think, Seth or John? Briar Creek Kennels is your complete hound hunting outfitter. Boots, lights, collars, and tracking equipment. Dog boxes, kennel supplies, collars, clothes, squalors. Whew, they have it all. Briar Creek Kennel is a garment and dog tree dealer. Owner Chris Girth will ensure Briar Creek Kennel customers will get top of the industry customer service. Whether you purchase from their website or you find them at a major coonhound event, Chris and his staff will share expert knowledge and experience about every product they offer. Chris Girth is a top competitor and breeder of hounds. He knows what gear you need to be successful. Look for Briar Creek Kennels on the web for a complete online store or look at their fully stocked trailer at any major coonhound event. Briar Creek Kennels, offering a hound hunting public generations of excellence. Houndsman XP is very proud of our partnership with the organization Freedom Hunters. Freedom Hunters is a nonprofit organization that takes America's veterans hunting from field to field, from the battlefield to a field near you when you volunteer your time to take America's warriors hunting with you and your hounds. It's easy. Go to houndsmanxp.com, click on the partnership tab and it will take you to Freedom Hunters. You can go direct to their website to make donations at freedomhunters.org. Support America's heroes. Let's pay it back. Visit Freedom Hunters at freedomhunters.org or go to houndsmanxp.com, and you can find them on our website from field to field. I've seen badgers dispatched in traps, uh, Coyotes, fox, uh, bobcats. Bobcats are so fragile. Mm-hmm. Bobcats yes, are so easy. Even, I mean, they're so fragile. A, you can look at them. Ca- and they'll fall. Oh yes. Well, and everyone and you says, can't even "Oh, put a catch pole around their neck. You got to put one arm." In yeah. If you if you're going to release that's, them, that's yeah. you can't. Yeah. If you're going to release them, you have to be very quick if you're going to use a catch pole. That's because right. because they are unconscious and 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 dispatched very quickly. Yes. Uh, maybe so, you've got maybe ten to fifteen seconds to get that. Catch pole tight, tight, trap released, catch pole loose, cat out, or it's it's going to have permanent damage and it's probably going to die. From just yeah. I mean, they're, or they're just like no, just from just because so they they. So I don't know. Is, the, yeah, the trachea is very fragile. 
They yeah. have very low. You can't neck cinch muscle. it down all the way if you're going to release yeah. one. Well, and their neck, um, like their blood vessels and stuff on their neck is, are so superficial yeah. that um, I was taught in trapping class to put to get one arm under the the noose for the catch pole when you release them because e- even if you have it just around their neck, it can cause damage and they'll die later. Yes, they're very fragile. Yeah. Whereas mm-hmm. you can put that thing around very- a coon, go eat lunch, <laughs> have a beer, come back. Let it go, and the coon's fine. I mean, they are just and the coon comes right after you. And, and, yes, and they're completely, completely built. They're completely built different. And badgers, yeah, are, badgers are tough. All the weasel family's tough. Otters are tough. Otters, especially, I've seen them, you know, caught in two twenties, three thirties, and still be fine. You know, they're they're an amazingly tough animal. One otter actually killed a trapper in Iowa. It was able <laughs> to buy. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. If what? No, no, he no. it actually he was looking for a trap that had had a stake pulled, and the otter come out of the water, bit him in the neck, bled out, dead. True that story. otter like no, wait, 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 jugular. No, no. wait, <laughs> wait. Josh said that he said one trapper said that he was looking for a lost stake. If this otter killed him, how did he say it? This is what I heard from another trapper. Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's my granddaddy told me. Dude, okay. Now, and it may be. So now I'm going to have to get on there and look up the news clipping just to make sure I'm not lying to the American public. But yeah, this was a well known story. And like, does the otter take story. a neck chunk out? Like, yes. What? I mean, it, otters are viciously tough animals. It's and the crazy trapper lived long enough to tell the story before he died. And if you have a, a bobcat, Forensics a fox, dogs. Uh, a lot of animals that are hitting the end of the trap chain trying to get away from you when you're walking up. An otter's not. An otter's hitting the front of the trap chain trying to get to you. <laughs> they're that's just how, they're that's how rock squirrels are. They're yeah, so and aggressive. mink. Yeah, I mean a mink is the same way. Ooh. They're just they're just mean mean animals. The whole family no is nothing but badasses, though. I, like you were saying, yeah. the whole weasel family. They are the, the weasel uh, family is they're a different a breed, point. all the way from wolverine a to a point. to just a, a regular. I wonder if anybody Herman. uses. I wonder if you, anybody still still hunts those otter hounds. I don't know. For further intent, or otter? Yeah, maybe. Huh? Man, we need to look that up. Rare. That's a rare breed. That's a super rare breed. No kidding. The otter hound? Yeah, 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 yeah. They look yeah. like a, they look like a shaggy bloodhound kind of, sort of. Yeah. So the, the Chesapeake Bay Retriever was actually bred from an otter hound and a, and a uh, Newfoundland, and then hmm. bred down to what we call the Chesapeake Bay Retriever. Huh. And um, but yeah, otter hound was a was a big part of the the Chesapeake Bay Retriever breed. We need to track down some otter hound guys. See if anybody's still doing that. Otters are awesome. Otters are amazing animals. Yeah, I saw one once. It swam right up to me in the Rio Grande. They reintroduced him from, they brought a population from Colorado. And I was doing a fish mm-hmm. survey and we were running the electroshocker through the water and it just like popped up right beside me. Yep. And I dropped my neck. I believe. It was just, I was just There's like, only Whoa! 600 otter hounds nationwide, worldwide. Sorry. Whoa. Worldwide? Worldwide. That's a pretty small gene Vul- pool. Vulnerable native breed. It's a British dog breed. If you hunt an otter hound, contact me. I want to talk to you. For sure. Houndsman XP, we want to talk to otter hound guys. Up next, otter hound becomes the second most popular coon hound breed. (laughs) 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 So So remember how you mentioned like 
um, like hunter mortality and how um, like some species, you know, we really have to be careful with and other species just bounce back super quick. I'm really interested because one of the properties I hunt, I have only killed two boar out of it this year. One was my 26 pound personal best, 26.12 pounds. Um, and, but who's uh, keeping track? And then the uh, the rest have been females. So I've probably got like, I don't know, six or eight, ten females out of there. And like every time we go, it's like it comes down. I'm like, crap, it's a female. Like no, I, I wouldn't feel worry. bad. You don't. Those those coons will come in and replace those coons so fast that I mean, especially where there's habitat, you don't a raccoon. Yeah. When and there's food and there. there's cover and there's something for them, you can't. A, a hound hunter can't do any damage to the overall population. What is a coon's yeah. litter size, and how long are they pregnant? Oh. Uh, I believe the gestation is around fifty days, fifty-two days, something like that. Mm-hmm. I'm just um, don't quote me. I'm not looking at my Googler, but uh, they. I'm going to Google it while you're talking. Yeah, sixty-three guessing... to sixty-five days, so very similar to yeah. a canine, a dog. Way too slow on the trigger there. And then I'm assuming four to eight kids, but I know for a fact that they will rebreed when the population's low. Uh, they will have bigger litters when the population's low. They can bounce like back so fast. Yes, yeah. they can bounce back so fast. That's a really unique. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? It's such a cool. And trait. what I learned is they will den up with their kits even like for the next winter. Mm-hmm. And it's uh, you can really see it here after the fur boom of twelve and thirteen, and we. The, the population did get actually knocked down a pretty good chunk. I mean, we really knocked our coon population down because they were $25 a piece. And so everybody had traps. Everybody had dogs. We were Everybody was hunting real hard. They were getting trapped in places where you couldn't turn a dog loose around the highways and things like that. And so the overall population actually did get knocked down. And the fur boom went bust. I mean, in 14, I believe it was, they went from being worth $25 to nobody would even buy them. So nobody trapped Everybody quit hunting, you know, the guys that were doing it just to make a little extra money. And they came back with a vengeance. And we have so many coons now. Will you take uh, the La Plata hunt? Two weeks ago, they treated 319 coons in that hunt. And that's 45 minutes from the house. There's so many raccoons right now. Wow. I've never seen never seen anything like it. And how many days and they, was that and La Plata they, hunt? That was a four-day hunt. Four-day hunt. In Missouri yep. or whatever they haven't opened up like an open season like wisconsin has for coyotes like you can shoot them all the time anytime they still have a regulated season or november 15th to january 15th or 31st one or the other um that's not long enough no it's not long enough but it's going to change they're already uh the biologists are doing their work for the mdc our turkey populations crashed that's part of it i know that's not all of it it's a habitat thing 99 percent of any anything is always a habitat thing uh we have less cover we have less good crp we have less nesting and stuff like that we have a lot of herbicides because of our big agri economy and so that's part of the reason but coons are big nest predators so an animal that's already struggling for habitat the predators are, are taking advantage of that too and it's not like how seth was talking as to where uh, jackrabbits get high or hares get high and a predator comes in and the predator numbers are high because they're high. Well, this predator, this nest raider has plenty of food. If the quail are all gone and the pheasants are all gone and the turkeys are all gone, the coons are still going to be there because they still have a huge food base with all our 
with all our agriculture. And yeah, then that's a huge problem. For, right. That's a huge problem for letting those nesting species recover because they're already yes. at a depressed state. And then when you have a carnivore species, this is like classic carnivore population management stuff that like yeah. seems to always a be mid range. A mid range carnivore yeah. is always the problem. Mesocarnivores. Like. Yeah. So that yes. in like the Latin term, a mesocarnivore is that middle level guy. And like coons and coyotes are really legendary. We were talking earlier about mm -hmm. that ability to. Um, be hyper fecund where they reproduce more when their population is very low as a as a response to stress on their population that's another really crazy thing that they're amazing at but another thing too is like yeah. once the population of like herbivores or whatever we're talking about right now nesting creatures gets so low and you still have this huge load of carnivores that the, the prey base struggles so hard to rebound and so that is when a lot of people kind of kind of like oh predator management predator management but a lot of people have a hard time articulating exactly what that means that is the yep. number one reason that predators need to be managed is that when prey the combination of usually anthropogenic factors human cause factors but also habitat loss which usually is a human cause factor once their population gets low you need to help them and you got to minimize that predator population so they can rebound and, and yeah, that right there that right there is why every person who cares about hound hunting in the United States needs to listen to the Houndsman XP podcast. That's well, a shameless that cares plug. about hunting but, in general. But yeah, we can, Seth, you just laid that out. And Josh, you, lay, you set him up for it. But we just laid that out as to why we need to be educated on these issues and be able to walk into a Natural Resources Commission meeting and talk intelligently about how we are going to preserve this you can elect the most popular good old boy in your your area that that has hounds to to but he's not if unless he's he's educated he is not going to make a dent on on these issues when it when it counts you've got to be educated and you've got to know what the verbiage is and how we make an impact on these management decisions and it's not being taken into consideration and we're letting the emotional roller coaster take us away on this predator management and you got to be educated and that did, right there that that two minutes right there was worth doing this podcast did you see on this same note did you see the the facebook post by a, he's a deer hunting realtor uh i'm not i'm not even gonna say his name because it was it's kind of aggravating but uh, they killed 760 some coons on a weekend I saw in, a that. in a contest, calling contest without hounds. Now, no hounds, no traps, no nothing, just calling. But in their defense, I'm not against that. Uh, skin the coons, sell them at market, eat them, whatever you want to do with them. That's fine. We have too many. I understand the management. That's fine as well. Now I'm not a big fan of posting it on social media. That was the gripe that I had. Uh, if you're going to do something legally and you have the resources to do that, uh, we we should support all those hunters that do that. But they killed 760-some coons over a weekend. Now, I get hundreds of messages from houndsmen that are friends of mine or that know me that are in places with sparse coon populations. And they can't fathom uh, the number of raccoons in our area, and especially in that area. That area is about an hour and 35 minutes southeast of me, which even has more raccoons than right here. And these are areas where this realtor, I assume, is not going to let a bunch of hounds, you know, get cut loose on him because he's selling ground just for deer hunters. Uh, he's 
sponsored this contest and he wants to help the turkey population, that, whatever, you know, you want to do that, that, that's your own business. I'm not going to be critical of it, but they see that some guy from South Carolina that's, that's two miles in between trees or some guy from Arkansas that's really struggling to tree a bunch of coons right now or something like that. <laughs> West Virginia, you know, they see this and they're, they lose their mind and rightly so in some cases. But they just they just think it's a crying shame. And what people don't understand is that raccoons are a resource, just like a white-tailed deer is a resource, just like a elk is a resource, just like coyotes, uh, Seth's hares, everything. And they all need managed. And we've come to the point that humans have to take it on ourselves because we've, frankly, we've screwed up the the biology or the the ecology of all these places so bad anyway that we have to manage it now. We're the, we're the only major predator of these meso predators, like Seth was talking about. So, I mean, that's something that's important. Like Seth said, predator management is important. But we also have to have uh, a, we have to be smart about how we do things. You know, you can't just go pile up eight hundred coons in a picture and put it all over Facebook and brag about it. I mean, it, it just doesn't make any sense. So, I mean, there's there's a tangent in there somewhere that I just went on, but <laughs> well, no, like. If you're going to post that, at least put a little bit of context with it. Exactly. Like, hey, here's what we're dealing with in Missouri. This is what or our Here's the thing. Don't pile up 800 coons and put it on freaking Facebook. That's, That's stupid. I don't care what I don't care yeah. what situation you're in. That is stupid. Don't or do that. 50 coyotes or whatever. It exactly. Is. I mean, imagine if just like all the messages I'm getting. Imagine if we had stacked 700 deer up. And we'd have posted it up because we have too many of those too. Our deer population is crazy. CWD is starting to take hold. And so, you know, say a bunch of coon hunters go out and legally take 800 deer and put a big deer pile picture on. I mean, these guys would lose their mind. That sounds you know? like a challenge. <laughs> yeah, it does. That's a challenge. Hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna... to. So... Oh, go ahead, Josh. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, you're fine, Seth. I'm done. My rant's over. Rant's over. Yeah. So um, I was going to say two things. One, remember people like, Josh, you hit the nail on the head. And, and again, I'm just going to speak like broadly here. But when people are like, let nature take its course, I'm like, nature really can't take its course because there's humans, there's 8 billion humans in the world. Exactly. Like, so, so sorry, everybody. Like, that's just not going to happen. And two, we were talking about, and I'm going to bring this all the way back, but you guys are talking about a raccoon's gestation period and a hare is pregnant between 38 to 42 days. But check this out superfetation they can be pregnant two times so she can be about to deliver and get pregnant again while she's still pregnant so doubly pregnant wow she'll ovulate that sounds horrible ovulate <laughs> days before birth she'll ovulate again find a male mate then she'll deliver and they don't scientists aren't quite sure because believe it or not are there other animals that do that no only genus it's not humans i can tell you that <laughs> it's only in the genus lepus can can do that so european brown thank god yeah yeah <laughs> And so, like, the, believe it or not, this, the 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 literature on jackrabbits in general, I'm going to say just jackrabbits because I'm speaking specifically for new world hares here, but is actually pretty sparse. But like, um, they're very secretive and they're really hard to find and they're very shy and you can't keep them in captivity. So the, the research is really hard to in the, the new changing world of op, uh, thermal optics is like really changing the way we can study them because you can just stand back with a really sick FLIR setup and watch them from a distance and not disturb them. But anyway, um, they, I boy, that, yeah, I bet you are. Helps, you I literally bet that helps yeah. for your, your rabbit counting that you've got to do at night for your job. The problem is jackrabbit like, porn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So like 
they they a hair a rabbit and a hare big difference between the two is that rabbits give birth underground to up to eight babies at a time and they're born pink and hairless right hares give birth to fully formed precocial offspring they're like, like guinea pigs uh, yeah i don't know if guinea pigs are guinea- like that well guinea pigs get like their babies can eat like pellets and stuff like right after being born they're fully haired and yeah how do you know that because what i had guinea wrong- I had guinea pigs growing up, and we had babies <laughs> multiple times. Oh yeah, then they're just hey, we got we, a hey. guinea pig farmer. Yeah, you could be like our famous YouTube chocolate and, and silky had babies. You could be like our famous YouTuber that's been giving us so much problems this year. Lauren Shaw not, Farms. Not, yeah, not even problems. Bring it. Uh, yeah. We love it. Yes, but hey, Go we want to. We want to. Hey, let's move on. I want to get jo- Josh's. He's the new the new kid on the block. Yeah, he has had a 2021 to talk about. Yeah. He's here. Bring bring it, Josh. We want to hear what's your most memorable. Well, my as far as the podcast goes, it's gotta be Kurt. Oh, I guess. The, hey, hey, Josh. Hey, Josh. What? Hey, yeah. hey, Josh. Let me tell you what, Josh. I got ignorant. What, Josh. I got ignorant. I love that. Yeah. I laughed so hard. He's like, look, I got a little ignorant. I'm going to be honest right here. I, I wish, because it's so different for me because and so different from the people that have been around Kurt. But you see it, and you realize how unique this individual is. And you want to bring it to the world, but also you want to bring it the right way because you don't want to have a negative view because it'd be very easy to look at Kurt negatively. We've all done it over the course of our lives. And so you want to bring it in a way that, that doesn't do That does Kurt justice. There was so much energy in that podcast. It was this, this is Kurt. That was Kurt toned down. That was Kurt toned down. That was (laughs) Kurt at 50%. That was Kurt comfortable in his own, yeah, you're you're right. I but felt that like was, I needed to like take a sleeping pill while I was listening yes. because like my energy level, like I was so amped up and like yeah. anxious listening to it. I'm like, we gotta take it down, Lauren. Like <laughs> And when you when you talk to Kurt, again, Kurt, a lot of the reason he's like that is because he loves his dogs. Man, he just loves them. He love and his dog won twenty thousand dollars two weeks ago at La Plata too. That knock him out Tyson dog is a dog of Kurt's that Rusty Jones was on. And Seth, so, our yeah. dogs will never win twenty thousand dollars. <laughs> you don't know that. My dog you guys just got to get twenty thousand dollars in gas and food. Yeah. Did uh, you guys see about the hundred thousand dollar hunt we're having? PKC's yeah. having two and, of uh, them. Well, yeah, because one's for the the um, tornado benefit. Yeah. Well, yeah. one they stu- they they opened one sixty four dogs four thousand dollar entry, and it filled so fast that there were seventy seven people on the waiting list. Holy crap. And so they decided to have another the same weekend. Oh, my God. And credit to Michael Moody. And now the Pro Sports already done a $100,000 hunt. This will be the first one that PKC's done. But there's two of them that weekend. There's $200,000 hunts down in Georgia. Michael Moody and Jesse Lively and them are putting on. So, yeah, that's going to be – there's a lot of money in it now. And that's one of the – when we talk about how I'm able to do this, and we talked about the Kurt podcast and – one of the guys that Kurt's won a lot of money and Kurt's dogs have won a lot of money, but he also hunts, you know, he's hunted for trophies all his life too. And he's had stud dogs, but there are guys that Michael Ward, uh, all them guys like that, you know, they can make a living at it now. That's all they have to do is Kuna, but you gotta are be good at it. guys that like no one has really heard of and they come into those hunts and end up like doing really well. Maybe not even first place, but still like they come in and they're like, who's this guy? And then bam. No, 
No. Okay. There's just, just wondering. Not. So like, I mean, there's, there's some, there are some dark horses that get in, you know, don't get me wrong. Jake Renninger come all the way up from Kentucky and he got in at La Plata too, but he's not an unknown, you know, there's no, in the no, world we have today, there's no, there's no behind the barn coon dogs with some guy that just comes in and knocks the world out anymore. There, that doesn't exist. Yeah. People can say it does, but, but everyone knows about these dogs. I mean, if your dog is good enough, someone's going to find it. Someone's going to try to get it to a hunt. Someone's going to try to buy it off of you. I mean, there's just, there's, there's not any secret handlers or secret dogs anymore. And if there is, they're not winning. Case in point, me. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's like, say you come to a no, 2500. No, I'm not trying though either. <laughs> yeah, but say you come down to the Lone Star and you go hunting. It's like no one's ever heard of Lauren or seen her dog or something like that, you know. But the, the, behind the barn dogs, you hear it all the time. You see it on the Facebook that, oh, there's some dog tied behind a barn somewhere that, no, there's not. I'm, I hate to break it to you, but there's not. Yeah. There may be a good coon dog back there, but there's not. It's not a big time winner. Dog. Yeah. No, the big time winners, they know where they're I'm at. I'm going to argue with you a little bit about that. Go ahead. You'll be wrong, but go ahead. <laughs> no, you, you think? Mm-hmm. So where do you think big country came from? Yeah, but what happened to you, big country? You, you have, you have, you, Jed, uh-huh. and who else? Somebody else said that big country. Who else yeah, did but- you ask? What happened to Big Country is now the most famous dog on the freaking planet, Chris. Yeah, but but what? Where was he? Where was he? Behind a barn. He was. You guys were barn. And then what happened? We took him out from behind the barn. Someone heard of him. So so let me let you know. Okay, so I'm gonna back this up. Uh huh. Donnie was the sole owner of that dog. Yeah. And speaking of that, I want to. I love that podcast, by the way. If you did, but you can tell who the brains behind that operation was. Donnie's a sharp dude. You better believe it. Yeah. Man. Donnie is super sharp. Yep. And uh, he's a pedigree studying guy and yeah. he's analytical and he, he doesn't do anything. He does not make a knee jerk decision. But Chris, but, just, uh, just think about when you got, when you first started hunting with country, how old was he? He was only a year and a half old when I first. Okay. So, so at, essentially at a year and a half old, this dog gets discovered. He no, he didn't. At well, you hunted now, with him. I hunted with him, but I mm-hmm. didn't like him. Yeah, I spanked his ass with a plot. Yeah. So that, and and that that's a whole different that's a whole different podcast. But when I came back after after I was hunting jazz and I was I was really pushing her hard. I almost burned her out, just like you said. You know, you mm-hmm. you guys did the podcast. We can blow them up. I just about blew jazz up at a year and maybe 13 months old. And I knew I needed to put her up. Donnie was building his house. He had another kid on the way. He's like a rabbit. He can't, you know, he's just producing. Kids. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and good thing. And Seth I, ain't here to go through the whole biology discussion <laughs> of that. <laughs> there he is. So, so Donnie and I had been hunting and different things. I was like, Hey, and we called him Bimbo. Donnie called him Bimbo. I said, mm-hmm. Bimbo needs to be out there. He needs to be hunted. Do you care if I come out? Man, the, and that's where it took off. I was like, I looked at him. I was like, in the text I sent him, I was like, man, this is a different dog than I sent. Uh, this is a different dog than I hunted with a year ago. 
this dog deserves the opportunity. And that's, that's when it started happening. That's but, what I'm saying. This country was good. And as a young dog, still someone found him, got him out and got him out there. That's going to happen with every dog. Okay. There's, there's uh, no, uh, there's no five or six year old dog. That's just some guy's going to go out behind his barn, snap a bale of twine lead on him and take him to a hunt and go win a hundred grand. They do, that doesn't exist anymore. I, I'm, I'm tracking now. So. Yeah. I mean, that's just country was good. Country was at Donnie's and got the, found. the six, six degrees of separation. Someone's going to find that dog. And I'm not trying to take anything away from Donnie. Donnie, no. knew, how, Donnie yeah. knew how good he was, but Donnie also knew that at the point of his life he was in, that he was not going to bring him out on that stage. Right. And so all the stars aligned and, and we started hunting him and then, I mean, it was almost, it was, it was several months later before Burkholder even came yeah. on the scene. Now there is, there are dogs that never get to those hunts that could compete. I'm not saying that, but like, we know where they're at. Uh, there's one right now. There's one tied four miles away from here, from right where I'm sitting that could go get cut loose and compete anywhere and could win a lot of money in a year if they hustled him around. But it's my hunting buddy. His name's Mike Noe. Shout out to Mike. The dog's named Oddball. But everybody knows about this dog. That's, this guy's already been offered quite a bit of money for this dog. I've bragged on this dog. I know what he's like. I've hunted with him a lot. And he's as good a, a coon dog and geared towards the competition side as I've seen. But Mike doesn't competition hunt. He doesn't want a competition hunt. He just likes good coon dogs. So he's just going to keep that dog at his house until whenever. And at some point, if I'm out of a dog, maybe I'll take that dog and hunt him for a month and, and go put him in some hunts or something like that. But yeah, I mean, we know where they're at. Well, there's, not, there's not many secrets. That's the thing. I mean, when, when people have that good dog and, and, or, or maybe they think they have that good dog mm -hmm. and they're like, Oh, nobody, Nobody wants to take the time for me. It's like even a douche nozzle can figure <laughs> out a way. Somebody is going to come and and they don't care what your personality no. is. They don't care about you know what kind of stupid things you say on Facebook. If it's a good dog, it's a good dog, and they're gonna they're gonna do what they got to do to get their yeah. hands on it to promote it. Ike Rainey and and John Strickland's and uh, the Gerald Yoders and, and the guys like that of the world. They just want to buy your dog, a good dog. If it's yes. a good dog, they'll figure out a way to get your hands on it. And if they can't figure out a way to get their hands on it, it ain't like nobody knows where it's at. I mean, I know there's some good dogs that won't see hunts. Yes, I'm aware of that. But we know where they're all at. Yeah. Back in the day, same thing was said about, you know, Claire Chenoweth and, you know, some of those some of those guys mm -hmm. that, that, that knew what a good dog was and they just wanted to have a good dog in their kennel and put a good handler with that dog and, yeah. and push him. I mean, Claire had walkers and black and tans and, you know, all this stuff. He wasn't colorblind. Mm -hmm. So it's not, it's not this big conspiracy like, oh, you know, black and tans, will, blue ticks will never get, red bones will never get the fair shake. It's like, if it's a good dog, it's a good dog. And, yeah. and somebody will put the money down to get yeah, it Yeah, I don't care. I mean, if most of these guys that are at these hunts, they don't care what color this dog is. I drew some English dogs that played it. I drew some at the World Hunt. I mean, blue ticks and whatever. I mean, if they're good, these guys don't care. Uh, the thing about these big entry hunts and these big money hunts is nobody really gives a shit about the pedigree. They don't care what the dog's out of. They don't care what it came from. 
their whole livelihood is based on winning coon hunts and they just want to win coon hunts. So yeah. if a dog's good enough, they're going to get it out there. But I think that causes some problems too, though, you know, because it, where are we tomorrow? If the guy that has that good dog doesn't care about that stuff, if he doesn't care about the legacy, cause you go, you'll always have the mainstream guys that, that are just in it for the now. And then you've got the traditionalists, you know, it's like, it's, it's no different in bow hunting or if you're a mm -hmm. muzzleloader hunter or you're, or whatever it is, you're always going to have that guy that is a traditionalist that, that wants to preserve the heritage of what we're doing. You're also going to have though, during all this, you're still going to have the Kevin Cables and the Jed Finleys and the guys like that, the Kurt Ehrings, uh, the guys that raise what they hunt and hunt what they raise and still like to breed good dogs. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you're still going to have that out there. And there's more of that out there. Yeah. I'll throw a name out there that's, I think you'll see him coming back around. I think Jerry Mall's going to come back. He now. might. Yeah. Cause he yeah. salt Creek, salt Creek was a big name. Yeah. And I'm not just saying that cause Jerry's a buddy of mine. I mean, that guy is sharp. Yeah. I didn't know whether Jerry and I've always got along with Jerry, but I didn't know whether Jerry was just so sick of, he was in it for so long and everybody He's gets burned fun. out. Everybody wants to take a break. He's hunting again. Yeah. It's awesome. But I, I will, I will speak for like a week long hunt, like at the world hunt when I'm out there and I'm getting beat up, even though my dog's still looking good and I can't win a cast. It's not fun. It's miserable. You don't want to be, you'd rather be anywhere else, but an hour into this cast when you're already a coon down. I mean, you <laughs> walk your guts out and you're going to judge late because you want to help and it's a long week. So, I mean, it's not, I mean, Jerry, and I'm the same way. I'm thinking, yeah, I'm, I can't wait to get down to the Lone Star and spend a week down there. By Wednesday, I'm just like, man, this sucks. <laughs> you know, I'm ready, to, I'm ready to go home. I'm tired of walking after these dogs all night, every night, and getting up early in the morning and taking care of them and stuff. So, yeah, Jerry, I hope Jerry does come back. Jerry's a good breeder. Jerry's a smart guy. You know, I hope he does come back. But, yeah, it's sometimes, sometimes everybody wants to come back until the, it's time to come back and you do it. And you're like, yeah, now I remember why. I was just out pleasure hunting an hour, an hour or two, three nights a week. That's right. That's right. Hey, I'm going to call you out on something. I need Lauren's help on this. Okay. So in this last, in, in a, in a recent episode of certain uh -huh. points, you, you made a statement about big game hounds. And oh yeah. Hounds. I did. And I'm going to go ahead and let you dig your grave a little bit deeper. And then me and Lauren are going to pile on you. Go ahead. Uh, but I still stand by everything I said. I'm not backing up, not one inch, one iota. <laughs> I feel like that these dogs that are competing in these bigger money hunts are the absolute pinnacle of what you can do with a hound and that they would fit into any pack and excel. And I think our dogs are better. I'm not going to lie. I want to go. I'll go out there and get proved wrong. That's fine. And I, one thing about it, when I am wrong, I will admit it. But, uh, yeah, I just can't see how, how it could get any better. I don't. Lauren, go. I'm a little bit behind here. I have not had the time to listen to the episode. She don't yet. even know what we're Come talking on, about. Don't, I don't know what you're talking don't, about. Like, no, I, I read, just, the, I read you, the thing. I posted the thing. <laughs> you yourself now, if you can't even follow the damn podcast, <laughs> you've right. got no... Jeez, oh, Pete. I got to get out. Hey, Seth, especially on dry ground. 
That's all especially I know. Especially on dry ground. That's all I know. Especially on dry ground. Especially on dry ground. I mean, competition dogs are dry ground dogs. Exactly. I mean, we don't even freaking hunt in the snow. Well, I do, but <laughs> I'm, I'm not. There's a I'm not turning loose in no snow and dry ground. I've yes, hunted in blizzard. That's true. that's true. Yeah. When they're looking um, in the rocks to get the scent, that's all I know. That, I mean, like that's that's all I. That's yeah. It's, oh, well. uh, I no. So you think you think that those dogs, these competition dogs, these high like high money winning competition dogs, mm-hmm. you put that dog next to someone's best big game dog, mm-hmm. that your type of dog is going to be better, no matter if they're what. raised if they're raised in that environment. Yeah, they're more talented, and they're. So you think okay, are. let's say okay, let's say you had like proven reproducer competition uh-huh. dogs, like you know continuously winning big money okay mm-hmm. you get a pup two pups and they're going to be yep. exactly the same exactly you know whatever. oh no 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 i'm just saying that a really good competition dog say you take a 3d I'm... or a trader or a thousand dollar bill or a ruby or a big country and you raise that pup in a bear pack or you raise that pup in a lion pack yeah that's what and I'm going you for, know what yeah. you know what pack. you're doing then they're let's, they're better. Let's take the pack thing out of it. Pack things are excuses for people that have got one or two good dogs, and then yeah, a bunch of those dogs pack dogs. It, dogs yes, exactly, exactly. All right. So I don't want a pack of pack dogs. Deep and no. lonely. I want all my dogs to be able to be lead dogs and pack <laughs> yes. when they need to. Yes. Yes. Okay. So I think that's what we're missing here, Josh. Is the translation from what people heard and what you actually said, uh-huh. but. You're not saying that you could take a thousand dollar bill or a trader and take him to to Arizona and and track and tree lions as good as any dry ground land dog. That's not what you're saying. I, I, if they've if they're five years old and never seen a bear track or a lion track, no, absolutely okay. not. Okay, all right. No. right. You can't transplant a dog. No. And say, oh, it's going to be the best. You dog. mean they're it's genetically like, we, superior? That's what you yes. mean for is puppy been raised as a puppy? Genetically, genetically, they are superior. Okay, we, why aren't big game guys buying all these competition puppies then? Uh, they should. Uh, they should, and they have that picture that's have. on that the, the picture that's on that cover that you done, Lauren. Yeah, that's a trader dog. Oh, that's I in figured. Wyoming. Yeah, I mean that yeah. dog's out of trader, and that's an yeah. excellent lion dog. Yeah, and, and I think that's where we get lost in the sauce. We get tunnel vision. Yeah. On oh, that's a that's a competition bred dog. No, that's a that's a dog that is bred for superior genetic capabilities. You know, he's got certain genetic markers that make him a great dog. Yeah. And that's that's where I was coming at you. But as long as we agree that you can't take, you know. Oh, no, I couldn't take duds out of my kennel right now and go put him on a lion track and expect him to excel. There's yeah. no way. The dog's been a coon dog all his life. Right, but and I he's could not have only been a coon dog, but he's been conditioned to yes. behave in a certain way. He's had, yes. he's had certain training yeah. that's backed all that up and made him excel in his arena. So but another another thing I want to say with that is, and I'm going to get beat up over this one too. I know that's okay. our our training and how we develop these dogs and how we get these dogs to be at their best is so much harder to do than training a dog to be a bear dog or a lion dog. I disagree. It is. Gotta be. No, no, no. 
Oh yeah. I've done, I, no, no, no. <laughs> I will. I will die on this hill. I've done both, and there uh -huh. is when when you look at when you look at both aspects of what the big game hunter is trying to achieve and what the competition coon hunter is trying mm -hmm. to achieve, there is the same amount of effort. There is the same amount of concern. There is the same amount of discernment put into that to developing that hound to his maximum okay. capability. Oh, I'm not saying regardless not of saying whether it fits a scorecard or if it fits, you know, yeah. a, 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 on the mountain. You misunderstand. I'm not saying it's harder for the handler or the trainer that he's putting in more effort because he's not. I'm sure these lion guys and these bear dogs are working just as hard to get their dogs right as we are. I'm positive of that. It's a harder mm -hmm. terrain. It's harder country. It's harder. I'm saying that the odds of a dog being good enough to do what I do and being good enough to do what they do, the, the difference is immense. It's a lot harder to get a dog to do what I want it to do than a dog to get what they want it to do as far as odds of getting one. Say you have, say you have 10 jazz pups, Chris, uh, how many of them, if you take that same litter and you wanted to go win a hundred thousand dollars with one litter and you wanted to win a hundred or go chase lions or bears with another, how many of those pups are going to make it? How many of them pups are going to go out there and be able to compete every week at the level that we want to compete at versus how many of those would fit into a lion pack? Well, you keep saying the word pack, and that's a problem. Or how many? How many would? How many would make a quality lion dog? I want it. I want an excellent lion dog. I want an excellent bear dog. And I think you take all of those genetic factors and you bring them together mm -hmm. to to showcase and develop that. It doesn't matter to me whether I'm that bear that I'm going to catch catch next weekend is worth a hundred thousand dollars to me. Well, I'm it's, not saying it's yeah. not. I'm not. And, I'm not saying that the hunters don't love their side of that as much as we do, or anything like that. I'm just saying, an odds of a pup making a really good competition dog, and I'm talking elite, elite. They are, they are the same. I, they are I don't know. They are. I also think people think people have different ideas of what a good bear dog is, too. You're right. So, and that's that might be the key and, to this disconnect. That may be, Lauren, and they also because. Okay, let, let me expand on that real quick before you move on. That may be the key to this disconnect because we have a measuring device for Josh's ideal of Correct. what, but right. for for me uh, or for someone in Appalachia or in the Rocky Mountains that wants to catch a bear, there's no measuring device. Yes, you know, and that's that's one thing that, that that's one thing that hurts big game dogs is there's no competition really i mean you can't simulate that and i want to see can't... that dog tree bears on its on its own nothing else behind it nothing helping it nothing helping line it line line it out when elusive that's the made. thing that, that's the thing though i mean in today's age well it happened before today's age with social media you know we all heard about these one dog bear packs and all this other stuff and that's all in the way that it's marketed and and all this other stuff you know who knows whether that's true or false there have been one, one dog bear packs out there that can treat bears just like i take a dog out and i treat raccoons but how good of a, a promoter are you you know and that that is huge that's huge. no i mean i've 
I'd love to be proved wrong. I want to see it, and I will. You know, we're going, we'll, we'll go mountain lion hunting everywhere. I want to get down southwest and, and do some dry ground hunting and stuff. But how I just think we've misconstrued how a dog translates the things that are coming through his nose and into his brain. So and that is a whole different topic, though. No, it is. It I, is. I would love to. We need Brains to get together. Is a big we do. Deal. Brains yeah. is a big deal. Yeah. How, I, the way I see it, and we're, let's just, this because this could be like a four-hour <laughs> discussion. We're already at it. Yeah, let's yeah. do it. But, people, but are gonna, gonna, people are we're still going to listen no matter how long this is. We're not yeah. going to make it. We're not going to make another podcast next week. So, Well, I'm just saying that how a dog interprets what is coming through his nose is similar to the way, uh, this is going to be hard to articulate, but it's similar to the way we read a book. It's similar to the way that we process information. He's just doing it through a different sense, okay? And so when people say, well, it's a cold-nosed dog or it's a hot-nosed dog or it's a deal, my theory is that these dogs have decided, yeah, could, could Duds go and bang around and tree a cold track and trail it up in the wintertime? Yes, I've seen him do it. But as he got older and he got more mature, he understood what tracks he could handle quickly. He knows how he can process these things that are coming through his nose quicker than most dogs. So it's not a nose thing. It's a brains thing. So, and you, so you think people breeding cold nose dogs or hot nose dogs and people saying hot, you know, competition dogs are just hot nose dogs. You think that's not a, well, a unless, we, unless nose we can, thing. It's a genetically brain thing. Yes. Unless we can definitely differ between. Now, listen to me, Chris. I'm, how. I'm, I'm listening. How many are shaking I'm, your head over there? I was shaking my head at Lauren. But you can't tell me the olfactory senses are stronger in one line of walkers or to another line of walkers or one line of blue ticks to another line of board. They, they could, their olfactory sensors are basically pretty much the same. How they process that information is different. Exactly. And that's exactly, I've talked about this on the podcast. I've done a whole podcast about it. I get in these debates all the time. The whole cold nose versus hot nose is not related to you can when you compare olfactory senses, when you take the turbinates like the anatomy the of it, the, yes. the measurement of the nasal plane, the turbinates that are in there, there is not even any measurable difference between a um, whatever the hottest hot nosed considered dog is Walker dog is mm -hmm. there was in the old Nance dogs. There isn't that much difference. It is, it's an, it's a different genetic trait that comes down to drive the, the, the willingness of a dog to interpret that scent to think that they can catch what they're tracking. And when you look at cold nose and you look at hot nose, a lot of people don't even understand what they're looking at. They'll no, say, oh, some of these, that, some of these old... cold nosed dogs are just dogs that can't run a freaking track. That's exactly right. <laughs> you get this old cold nosed dog and they're like, oh, he's cold nosed. He's up there. He's really grubbing that out. Well, sometimes the truth is he doesn't have the brains to work out what is exactly he, his, his nose and his mouth are writing checks that his ass can't cash. Give me a dog that's smart enough to skip a track. I, I would, I, in, in, in fairly thick we'll find something better. Yeah. Here. Go get out there and find something that you can handle. And some of these dogs that are That's really okay. good at that are what's winning. That's okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You said the same, the key thing, what's winning. But yes. If I'm, if I'm a lion hunter in Southwest. And there's Arizona, only one track. 
and there's one track and I've looked for three days to find that track. I need a dog with the olfactory sense and the, the brains and the drive to stick with that track and know that he can, and with the confidence that he can do it. Yes. And but I, he has, he has a cold, he doesn't have a cold nose. He has a different way of doing things. Yeah. And it, it's all, it's all geared. Yes, it it's is. no different than people. And there's, there's coon hounds like that. There are, there's coon hounds that will take the first track they come to and they'll beat it to death and they'll tree it. And there's nothing wrong with those either. You know, those are fine. It's not going to win you a lot of money. Not in Sullivan, Indiana, right. not in Salem, Illinois, you know, right. not where there's, there's a coon track every 400 yards and you can, right. you can find a better one. No, yeah. that, that won't win you nothing. Yeah. And that also, that also won't tree you as much gain as well, far as the coon hunting side goes. And, and as big game people, we don't want a dog quitting a track. Let's say it's a 12 hour old bear track off a of bait. Mm -hmm. And that's the only one we have to run today. We don't necessarily want that dog free casting then itself yep. because it can't take that old track. But what, what a lot of people better. don't, don't understand is that we push these dogs when they're young and we encourage them to go find a better track. I mean, I've, well, I've had a lot of duds would beat you to death on a track when he was a year old. Con would do the same thing. Rain would do this. Bella was terrible. I've seen Bella run for seven, eight hours of a night and you can't get your hands on her and she won't finish this grubby track. And when you try to push her out, she comes back in. I mean, these, these dogs were that at one time, you know, well, we've made them either through breeding or through training. We bred training. some of it too, but through mostly through training, we've pushed these dogs out and we've encouraged them not to do that. So you can't tell me that I couldn't take duds when he was young, when he had that natural tendency and you know put him on a lion track and he knows that's the game that he's wanting to chase then he wouldn't do that because he would so here's here's the difference when jazz was a pup you know i had her broke when i turned her light on she she was a terrible she was a blue tick and i'll take credit i won't take credit for that but somebody will um <laughs> you know the reputation she's blue ticking tracks in there she wanted to run tracks she was a track dog first and and she would sit in there and she would grub. Well, I didn't want her sitting in there grubbing, so I broke her to the light on the collar. As soon as that light came on, I was in there and I was pushing her out. And then it got to the point when the light came on, then I would send her a stem and push her out. Okay, so you take that and you look back and she she would she would move out of there and it was scent pools. I know what she was doing because she wouldn't go two hundred yards, and and she would she would be back she'd have it sorted out and running it and mm -hmm. lined out and she'd have a treat but she would get bogged down so maybe it's a brain thing maybe it was a but she wanted to run at all you take that same dog and you put it on a lion track unless you're willing to get you and this is a lot of what what's current technology has done for us is we sit there and we look at our garmin instead of getting off our butts and getting out of the truck and getting in there and finding out and looking for tracks and different things you know, we just take it for granted that the dog's bogging down. Yeah. And so I think there's a combination and we're going to, we're going to do a podcast here in the near future. And I'm just going to throw this term out because I think it'll, it'll wet some people's uh, appetite, but it's, it's a concept called self-reward. Self-reward. A dog can learn to self-reward. And we're going to talk about. Some of our that. problems with tree dogs are self-reward. Yes, sir. And we're going because to go the, the tree is the reward. And so some go, dog, that's why they tree too much. That's right. And we're going to go in depth. I've got a, I've got a trainer that's coming on with us and we're going to talk about that. So, 
guys, I think we've we didn't been even hear about your. We just quick recap for you. Yeah, how was your year, Chris? I'll tell you what my year was like. <laughs> this was an amazing year for Houndsman XP. Um, We're not a Rinky Dink podcast. No, we are not. <laughs> we we are a top forty podcast in the world for hunting podcasts. Um, we are consistently there. I think um, one of the highlights of my year was adding the truth to the podcast platform and uh, seeing how that has been so effective. And uh, but we were hitting good numbers. I hate to burst your bubble, Josh, but we were hitting good numbers before you came along. Um, you know, I just jumped of, on the bandwagon is all I did. <laughs> no, you've added, you've added tons, man. I mean, it's been, it's been awesome. The truth's been great. But, uh, yeah, we have, we have put, uh, you know, we had John Bolin on who is, uh, formerly with the ASPCA, mm-hmm. man, that was a, a, a killer podcast. That was fantastic. But for me, looking big picture stuff. The most rewarding thing for me this year has been the listener support that we've gotten. And, um, you know, the, the people, I still remember the early days and I'll give a shout out to some people that, that hung in there with us, but you look at Melissa and Kenny Nash who have been there with us since the beginning. And I still see them liking our posts and following us and commenting and adding to content. Well, and sharing on the group and being engaged, like engaging Absolutely. followers. Yeah. And not only them, but you take you take people like Luke Worthington and Becky and Cleve Dwyer. And I mean, the list goes I'll I'll miss people and I'm not I'm not trying to exclude anybody. But Kevin and Nancy Hall, I mean, yeah, they're a sponsor and they but they're legit. I mean, they, mm-hmm. they believe in what we're doing. And, and for me, all being our Patreon a, people. Yeah. Absolutely. I was going to say, didn't want to cut you off, but yeah. yeah, all our patrons. Thank you. You know, Scott Smith from, from, uh, whitefish, Montana. I mean, that guy, he's been with us since the beginning, Larry Anderson, it, the list goes on and on, but, but we've built a culture and seeing that all come together and seeing that pick up momentum, and knowing that that this isn't about entertainment all the time. Sometimes we talk about tough stuff, but they've stuck with us. And those people that have stuck with us and seeing that two and a half years into this thing has been a huge thing for me. And um, so that's that's my highlight for 2021. It's I think uh, a lot of times people think that it's maybe they don't understand all that goes into making this thing work and but the the people that don't get enough recognition are on this podcast right now and that's seth and lauren and josh you know lauren is always out there she's banging away at at social media stuff and bringing us the current news and stuff from wisconsin and wherever she can pick it up i don't even know what all you listen to and what all you follow lauren but every time i turn around there's a there's a new story on there about how honey how hound hunting is threatened in this part of the world and most people really believe and that's what we always strive we always made that our our focus to strive for was we are here to be that voice for the houndsman 
And what you do with that, Lauren, when you bring that stuff and you post it on our Facebook page and our, our group, you know, blasting it out there to however many people we got now, that's huge. And Seth, what you do with Patreon and keeping our patrons engaged and making them feel like they're part of it, because I really look at patrons as stockholders in this podcast and you've got an investment in it. I wish we would hear more from you to let us know exactly what we need to do to improve this show because you've got a major investment in what we do. Um, that's more important to me than, than, than commercial sponsorship is connecting with the individual houndsman out there that believes in what we do and, and how we do it. So, and, and we're all, every single one of us, we, we don't just, we're not just here. We're not just voices. Like we're getting out there. We're practicing what we're preaching. We're hunting. We're all hunting really hard. And we, you know, we're not just fakers. <laughs> right. We're not posers. Yeah. We're not talking about stuff we, you know, uh, that we've heard other people do or what we used to do. You know, I've, unless last... it's me with, unless it's me with big game dogs. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's One day, true. Josh. One day. <laughs> we need to, that's right. If there's any dry ground hunters out there that want me to follow them around for a week, I would love to. Yep. Yep. Um, you seriously. might have to get on a horse, though, so I don't know how you're going to Yeah, that's, they're going to – I'm in good shape. I can walk. He can walk. I will yeah, walk. He can walk. I can walk. Those mules are just plodding along. Yeah, hey, you, you do – you No run. faster than those dogs go, I can keep up with them dogs. You got it, dude. You got it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Josh is calling you out. He, that's like right. It sounds like you're trying to get an invite. But, I am. Uh, I am. I'll take one. <laughs> seriously, that's been my highlight for the year is uh watching houndsman xp grow I, I really can't point to any one episode or any one thing we did uh when the antis just, come after you you know you're doing the oh, right thing oh man how about that <laughs> that is a huge that's a huge thing that we could spend a whole podcast but we can't do it without giving the guy more props so I, that's, that's the thing. I'm not, I'm not willing to do that, but, um, yeah, we've, we've weathered the storm this year and, and, um, we've got the greatest, most patriotic people involved, everything from freedom hunters, freedom hunters, hound adventures have, have grown. I don't even know. I've talked to Anthony, but we've got, I'm always getting messages about Anthony sending me a message from Anthony Pace of Freedom Hunters saying, Hey, we got this person that heard about this on Houndsman XP podcast and they want to host an event. We're getting American warriors back out there in the field and reconnecting them with hunting. Those people all go on to the ballot box. Veterans vote. Okay. That's the message I want to let you know. Veterans vote. And if you want to make an impact at the grassroots level on political issues and stuff like that. Take veterans hunting and show yep. them a good time. Well, and get out and vote yourself because yes. outdoorsmen, um, what Luke talked about, Luke Hilgeman, when we did 30%. our 30%. Yeah. About the outdoorsmen that are not voting hunter licensed hunters. Like, are you kidding and me? Find an organization, head. find an organization that's helping coon hunters or helping houndsmen or any kind of hunting or multiple organizations and be a part of them. Be a member, yes. be proactive. Yep. Yep. So that's my that's my year. I I I appreciate every everybody that is supporting us and listening. Um, I really support our patrons, but 
the special my place in my heart is for the people in this podcast right now. I appreciate Thank every you. one of you. Thank and you. the things that you guys do to keep the wheels on the Houndsman XP, I couldn't do it all by myself. I enjoy and, working uh, with all you guys. Ditto. Yeah. It's been fun. You same, might think otherwise, same, same. but. <laughs> yeah. So. No, I we'll, feel the same way. We'll get the love fest wrapped up here, but uh, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to everyone. Ditto. Each one of you and your families. I hope you have a great, great Christmas this week. Enjoy some time hunting and spend it with the family. I mean, if um, for me, bear season is still going on, but I got to stay close to home this week. It's, I enjoy that. I enjoy spending time with my family and that whole pre preparation for Christmas and things like that. And uh, dogs will be fine this week. That's just my mm -hmm. personal, personal thing. But um, you can always go tree one in the backyard real quick. Don't don't sacrifice don't sacrifice your family for hunting. Amen. Um, it's not worth it in the long run, and uh, be aware of what's going on around you. If and I just choose to stay home this week and and spend time with my wife and my family. So that's me. Good call. Yep. Well, hey, I appreciate you guys. This is a long one. It's two hours long. People ought to be happy with a long podcast, but uh, we could have kept stuff. going too. We had to call it. Oh, oh yeah. my gosh, I well, got yeah. stuff. I got well, stuff. We'll have like two or three, two or three more rounds of this episode. So that'd be great. <laughs> Merry Christmas, y'all. We Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas, everybody. Yep. And until next time, you follow your hounds, and I'll follow mine. <laughs>